and excited. Continue in Mark today, but I'm not this short, so pull this up here. Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1, beginning in verse 14. If you've got your copy of God's Word, and I hope you do, you just join me in turning over there to Mark chapter 14. Excuse me, chapter 1, verse 14. I would appreciate that. And if you're new to North Roto, perhaps uh, first time guest or haven't been in a while, we have just begun in the last couple weeks a series in the Gospel of Mark. And we've covered Mark's introduction or his prologue in verses 1 through 13 of chapter 1. And we've seen that Jesus is the promised Son of God who comes to defeat Satan, identify with sinners, and offer himself as a perfect offer himself for us by perfectly serving his Father in the power of the Holy Spirit. In other words, Jesus comes not only to die the death that we should have died, to die in our place, but he lives the life that we should have lived and, and we didn't. And he comes and he goes into the wilderness and he goes into the deepest recesses of the wilderness and he experiences loneliness and he experiences hunger and pain and hardship. And in spite of all of those variables that he faces in his life, he, he overcomes Satan, and then in verse 14, he emerges preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. So Mark's going to begin to show us, starting in verse 14, the powerful ministry of Jesus. But before he shows us the works of power and the miracles, he's going to show us the message that Jesus came to preach. You know, a lot of people say, well, I still believe in miracles. Or I still believe Jesus works miracles. Well, I, I do too. I still believe that God is in the business of healing people and touching people. But the miracle cannot be separated from the message or the Messiah. And a lot of times I hear people talk about miracles like they're more excited about the miracle that they can get than the Messiah that the miracle is supposed to point to. And so Jesus begins with the preaching of the message of the gospel of God. Having said that, would you would you join me in considering Mark chapter 1, verses 14 through 20? Hear now the word of God. Now after John had been taken into custody, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of God. And saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. As he was going along by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net in the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were also in the boat, mending the nets. Immediately he called them. And they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and went away to follow him. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, I pray in the moments to come that you would help us internalize this text in such a way that we depart either better followers of Jesus or followers for the first time. God, in a room this size, there are some who have heard this story dozens, if not hundreds of times, and yet they have not yet encountered the King who calls them to be disciples and to follow Him. We pray, God, that You would have Your will and Your way. Holy Spirit, that You would meet us as we listen to a sermon preached, that You would fill us up to overflowing. 
Hey, God, that wherever we are in our walk with you, that you would challenge us, that you would interrupt the comfort of our lives and call us to a deeper level of convicted followership. And we pray that you would do it for the sake of Jesus. And in his name we pray. Amen. So we begin this text with a, a note that it's after John is taken into custody, literally after he is delivered up, which is the same word that we use later, is used later of Jesus being delivered up to the cross. So John is imprisoned, like our Savior is later ultimately imprisoned, and, and then he's beheaded by King Herod. And it's at that moment that Jesus exits his Judean ministry and comes back to Galilee to preach the gospel. So there's a gap here likely between verse 13 and 14 where Jesus has had a Judean ministry. Now John is delivered up and it's go time. It's time to come back into Galilee and to preach the gospel of God. And Mark reminds us, you say, why didn't he just start with Jesus preach the gospel? Why does he even talk about John? Because he's reminding us of John the Baptist to prepare us for a reality that he's going to show us throughout the gospel of Mark. And that reality is this. Following Jesus is costly. Following Jesus is costly. If Jesus brings us into the kingdom by going to a cross, we should not be surprised that He continues to bring people to this day into His kingdom through the sacrifices of His followers. As Edwards writes, the gospel is proclaimed and known in adversity and suffering, not in ease and comfort. Now, you probably won't see that quotation on most television shows that have a pastor preaching the gospel. They, they will preach a gospel that says if you come to Jesus, you'll get your best life now. If you come to Jesus, you'll get your dog back and your car back and your wife back and everything you ever lost, you'll get it back. And then you'll get it amplified by 10 because that's what Jesus and the gospel does for you. But that is not the gospel. The gospel meets us in the brokenness of our lives and it doesn't hold out all the stuff that we lost. We get back and holds out a king who never dies, a king who never fails, and a kingdom that we can enter that never ends. You know, when people see that what we have in Christ is real, when they see that we really live as though He is all we really need, that's when they see that Christ is real. That's what John does, and it's what Jesus' disciples must do. So John decreases and Jesus increases. He comes into Galilee preaching the gospel of God, which is the good news from God about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. If you go back to verse 1, the gospel is of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Here, it's the gospel of God. In other words, God the Father has some good news that He sent His one and only Son to come and die for sinners. As Edwards writes, Jesus proclaimed the gospel, but He also was the gospel. And I'll add this, He is the gospel. As First John tells us, Jesus Christ is everlasting life. Because when Jesus comes near... The opportunity to enter the forever kingdom of God also comes near. So this morning, I've titled this message, Commands for Kingdom Living. Perhaps a better title would have been, The Kingdom of God is Near, which is what Jesus tells us. To enter the kingdom and to live in the kingdom of God, there's four things that Jesus shows us we must do. First, we must not miss His invitation. Second, we must repent and believe the gospel. Thirdly, we must leave our earthly allegiances and follow Christ. 
And finally, we must become fishers of men. First, we must not miss Jesus' invitation. When Jesus preaches, He announces the nearness of God's kingdom. It's near or it is at hand. God's promise to King David of a future son reigning on a forever kingdom from a forever throne has come because Christ has come. And it has irreversibly commenced because Jesus has come. There's no going back. When Jesus comes, the kingdom's coming. And that's it. It's time to get into the kingdom. Hendrickson says the kingdom of God is God's kingship, His rule or sovereignty recognized in the hearts and operative in the lives of His people. You say, where is the kingdom of God? It is here. It is here as you worship and exalt Christ as King. And it affects their complete salvation, their constitution as a church. In other words, it brings us together as a local expression of the reality of the international and everlasting kingdom of God on earth in a local church. And finally, a redeemed universe. In other words, He's making all things new. His kingdom will and is coming on earth as it is in heaven. And we look forward to that day, but we are already participating in that day. When Jesus comes, the last days have come. The time for dealing with this eternal reality, by the way, is right now. Jesus has come, so he tells us in verse 15, the time has been fulfilled. The word for time, I've told you in a variety of uh, sermons that there's a, there are two words in the Greek for time. There's chronos, which means chronology, just the normal progression of time. And then there's the word kairos, which means a critical or opportune moment. It's as though Jesus is saying, don't miss the invitation. I have come, the kingdom has come, and there's an invitation that's being extended to sinners, and now is the time to enter the kingdom of God because it is at hand. I don't know about you, but when I get invitations, I am terrible with invitations. Anybody, any of you ever got an invitation? It's got the RSVP. It's right there on the bottom. They even were kind enough to put a stamp on an envelope for you. All you have to do is fill that card out and put it in. And, and you, you get it, and then you've got your bills, and you've got your other things. And it, I don't know about you, but i got to check with Stacy, right? And she's never there when I see the invitation, so it's like, ah, I need to check with Stacy. And then, well, it's on this day, and I know I've got that meeting, but maybe I can adjust, and I can figure it out. And so what happens? Then you get another bill, and it goes on the stack, and then you're walking around, and it's in the back of your head, and you're like, I got that invitation, I need to worry about that. But it wasn't for like three months from now, so I'll be okay. And then the next thing you know, it's September 30th, and the RSVP was September the 29th. What am I going to do? I guess I'll call. I'll do something. Or, you just throw it away. Don't throw away God's invitation. Don't put the kingdom off until tomorrow where distractions cloud out the urgent need to respond and the kingdom which is near becomes the kingdom that you never entered. Some of you here this morning are here because you've heard the old story of the gospel. You know that Jesus is real. You've sensed the promptings of the Holy Spirit to repent and believe the gospel, but you've never really given your life to Christ and the kingdom. And Jesus says it is your time. It is your Cairo moment. The kingdom is near. And if that's where you are this morning, I don't care if you tune out for the next 
30 minutes or however long I preach, when we issue an invitation to trust God and to give your life and to live your life for the gospel, then no matter how many people are in the room, it's not going to matter. Don't put off your invitation one more day. You say, well, how do I, how do I accept the invitation? I don't have a prepaid envelope. No, you don't, but you have a Savior who paved the way for you and you can receive the free gift of salvation if you repent of your sin and believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is exactly what Jesus commands the people to do. Do you see that in verse 15? Repent and believe in the gospel, which raises a couple of questions. What does it mean to repent? To repent means to undergo a radical change of heart and life, a complete turnabout of life, Hendrickson says. Edwards says it is a fundamental change of perspective to have in mind the things of God rather than the things of self. That's so key. Salvation is not adding Jesus to your selfish life and then continuing to be selfish. Salvation is forsaking self for the priority of Christ and the kingdom. Repentance then is a radical change that not only looks back with sorrow for our past sins, but also forward with a desire to live for Christ. Paul says in Colossians 1.13 that God rescues us from the domain of darkness and transfers us to the kingdom of His beloved Son. It's an entirely different kingdom that you're walking into when you follow Christ. In other words, if you're expecting to enter a different kingdom, it only makes sense that you would embrace a different life. Let's say God calls you to be a missionary to France. Well, you're going to expect there's going to be some changes required for you to move from the United States of America to France. You're going to want to learn French. You're going to want to learn about French culture and etiquette and food. So it is when you are transferred from darkness into light. There's going to be a change about the things that make you happy, the things that excite you, the things that motivate you. Repentance is embracing an entirely different life that's oriented toward an entirely different kingdom. And if repentance is turning away from relying on ourselves, belief is what we turn to. What do we rely upon? And we rely upon the gospel of Jesus Christ. In the Heidelberg Catechism, which was written in the mid-1500s, did you know that churches were, were so serious about doctrine during the period of the Reformation? Which, by the way, the Reformation is going to be 500 years old this Halloween when Martin Luther nailed the 95 Theses to the door and he said... I am fleeing the authority of the Pope because my authority is Christ and His Word. Anyway, exciting stuff. More exciting than Halloween. 500 years of the Reformation. But you know what the church used to do? They, they used to catechize their members. Catechism just means teach. They, they would walk through statements of doctrine that would help inform the mind and then the heart of people about what it is the Christian faith is. So here's what... It's almost a, actually over a 500 year old confession from the Heidelberg Catechism about what belief is. True faith is not only a sure knowledge whereby I hold for truth all that God has revealed to us in His Word. It is that, but it's not only that. It's not just getting the facts right. But also a firm confidence which the Holy Spirit works into my heart by the Gospel. 
In other words, when I sin, I look to Jesus and I just realize all the more how amazing it is that God gave and paid the price for me. That not only to others, but to me also remission of sins. In other words, that I was personally accountable for my sin. Jesus came to pay the price not just for sin out there, but for the sin that's in here. Everlasting righteousness and salvation are freely given by God. Merely of grace. In other words, there's nothing I did to deserve it. Only for the sake of Christ's merits. In other words, God didn't pick me because I was so attractive. Ha ha. He didn't pick me because I used to be good at cross country and now I can't run a mile. He didn't pick me for anything that I offered to Him. He just came and picked me. And I haven't been able to get over the fact that God said to Daniel, you have an opportunity to be on my team. And when God puts you on your team and you get that perspective, then it is all about pointing others to the King that we are following. When we believe in the Gospel, we truly come to recognize life is all about Jesus, His glory, and His mission in the world. The gospel becomes not just part of our lives, but the very essence of our lives. When we believe the gospel, we say something like this. I want to live and work and pray and serve and give and parent and even play in this life in light of the eternal realities and priorities of Jesus, my King. Believing the good news that the kingdom is near means we will do whatever it takes. To follow the king. This is why in verses 16 through 20. We are shown that we must leave our earthly allegiances and follow Jesus personally. You say, okay, I understand what you said about repentance and belief in the abstract. But what does that really look like? In verses 14 and 15, we read about the need to repent and believe. And then in 16 through 20, Mark shows us a picture of the impact of repentance and belief. As Jesus walks along the shore, He sees Simon and Andrew busily casting their nets into the sea. Now in Jesus' culture, fishing was not a hobby, but a livelihood. Edwards reports fishing was a thriving industry on the Sea of Galilee because fish was the staple food of the Greco-Roman world. They did not have Happy Meals. They ate fish. Hebrew Happy Meal is what the young boy gave to Jesus when he gave his five loaves and two fish. So Simon and Andrew are out there on the Sea of Galilee working hard for their money and right in the middle of their work Jesus gives them a command. What does He command them to do in verse 17? Follow me. Follow me. Look at verse 18. What do they do? They, they had a committee meeting, didn't they? They thought about it for a while. They deliberated. They took a few votes. They drew straws. They cast lots. No. The Bible tells us immediately they dropped their nets and followed Jesus. And I, I don't know how to communicate to you the profundity of this statement, how deeply meaningful and significant this is, but their entire lives had been about nets, mending nets, storing nets, casting nets. But when Jesus calls, they leave their nets. Then in verses 19 and 20, Jesus walks a bit further and He calls to James and to John. And they leave their boat, and not just their boat, their father too. Why? To follow 
Jesus. Kellum tells us that Jesus' call was abrupt and their response was prompt. There was no hesitation. There was no shadow of turning. It was, there is the king that my Hebrew fathers told me about, that I've heard about. We're out here in Galilee. We're not near Jerusalem. People think we're outcasts, that we don't care about the gospel. But all we know is we have the Old Testament of God. We have the promises of God. And we've got fathers who've been training their sons to anticipate the coming of a king. And they don't know everything to tell about him. But when you see him and when he calls you, be ready to go and follow him no matter what it costs you. Edwards notes that following Jesus is costly. Requiring a separation from former allegiances to be free for the new allegiance to Jesus. What are you allegiant to? What allegiances do you have that prevents you from following Jesus wholeheartedly? Let's make a few observations this morning about Jesus' call. For some of you, this story has become so familiar that you miss the details. You miss the beauty and the wonder of what Jesus does when He calls people. First, Jesus calls people personally. And His answer must be, His call must be answered personally. You can't respond for someone else and no one else can respond for you. When the Spirit of God convicts you of your sin and convinces you of your need for true life in God's kingdom, there's only one thing to do. You have to get out of the boat and go follow Jesus. You can't ask somebody else to get out of the boat for you. You have to walk out of the boat. Second, when you follow Jesus, He puts you on a growing team. Edward says this, the community Jesus forms is not a nameless and faceless mass, but a community of individuals whose names are known. Simon, Andrew, James, and John, and others to come. Why do I urge you not to walk in these double doors at 11 o'clock and sit down, but instead to walk in at... Oh, 9.43 and to get into a Bible study class at 9.45 because you're on a team and people want to know your name and you want to be known by name and Jesus is a personal God and He gives us the local church so that we can know others and be known by Him and this is a way we structure ourselves so that we can have identity and community and accountability and responsibility and guess what? It's supposed to be a growing team. You know what happens on a growing team? Sometimes God sends somebody to be on that team who's better at you than something that you really like to do. You know what that implies for the people who are already on the team? Flexibility. When I ran cross country, that little yappy freshman, Tommy McGuire, he was better than I was. And I had to learn a new role on the team. No longer the hero supporting cats. Are you happy to be on a growing team? Whoever God wants to bring on the team because it's all about Him anyway, it doesn't matter who God adds. God, just do it. Have your will in your way. Add people to the team and keep on adding people to the team. Keep on growing the team because your kingdom is near and people need to know that the only hope they have is King Jesus. And I don't care what part I have on the team. I just am so thankful that I get to be on the team. Third, Jesus is the subject of Jesus' call. He says, follow me. He doesn't say, follow the Ten Commandments, follow the Torah, follow the Old Testament, follow the rabbis. He doesn't say, follow anyone other than Jesus. Now, on the lips of anybody else, we would call this arrogance. But on the lips of Jesus, it is the call to true life. Now, where is Jesus going, by the way, when He calls His disciples? He's going to the cross. 
He's going to Calvary. And when He calls you to follow Him, He's calling you to take up your cross, deny yourself, and to follow Him to the cross so that others might see that Jesus is real and that you would really give up your life for Him and give up your treasures and your trophies for Him because there's a King and a kingdom that's more real and more eternal than anything else this world affords today. And if Jesus must go to a cross to open the way into the kingdom, we shouldn't be surprised by this. That the call to follow Jesus always includes to leave other things behind, even good things, for the sake of Jesus. Think about it. Abraham leaves his homeland to head for Canaan. Naaman has to leave behind his pride and wash in the Jordan River seven times. The woman at the well in John 4, she comes to get physical water, but when she meets Jesus, who is the living water, she drops her water pot. The very reason she was there in the first place, to go tell others, come and see a man who told me everything that I've ever done. Simon and Andrew leave their nets and their financial security. And James and John leave behind the family business. And Zebedee, their father... Which raises this question this morning. If you are a follower of Christ, if you belong to Jesus and you're a true disciple, what have I left for the sake of following Jesus? There's no such thing as following Jesus where there's no such thing as leaving something behind. The call to follow Jesus always includes a call to leave something behind. On Tuesday... The leadership team and I opened this text and we probably spent 30 or 45 minutes in it together. And I think it's fair to say that we were freshly overwhelmed by these portraits of surrender. I mean, this is a story you've heard dozens and dozens and dozens of times. But let your hearts and your minds be captivated by what we see in this text this morning. Is there anything more likely in your life to keep you back from total surrender than the false sense of security that we derive from our jobs and our incomes or our families? Is there anything more likely to keep you in the boat than those things? And yet that's exactly what Mark shows us this morning. Following Jesus means He will change your career or change your perspective on your career to follow Him. Following Jesus means that being in the family of God is eternally more important than being with our biological family. Following Jesus means that we cling to Jesus so tightly that all the other things that we want to cling to must be held loosely if they are even to be held at all. Edward says it this way, Jesus lays claim to the total allegiance of Believers, Does Jesus have all of you this morning? Does He have all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and all your strength? Let's be vulnerable for a moment. Can we be real? Are you all here this morning? This is hard. This is a hard, severe, costly call. It's why for ten years I said to God, Yes, I love you. Yes, I'll follow you. But I'm not going to pastor a church. It's why so many of us are just roadblocked in our walk with Jesus because He's calling us to a deeper level of followership and sacrifice. And when we encounter the the freedom of Simon and Andrew and James and John to get out of the boat, it it makes us squirm a little bit on the inside. It it makes us want to tune out or shut down. 
I don't want you to tune out and shut down. The antidote to tuning out and shutting down at the moment that Jesus wants to get the victory is remembering the one who's calling you. Remembering how beautiful and marvelous and worthy and wonderful our King is. When you see who Jesus is and that He is really calling you into His eternal kingdom, suddenly all the stuff that you want to hang on to loses its grip on your heart and you get a freedom to follow Him like nothing else that the world provides. When we see how mighty and worthy and beautiful Jesus is, nothing He asks us to leave behind will prevent us from following Him. I want you to think about Zebedee for a minute. He's poured his life into his boys. He's given them what they need to be successful in the world. But at the end of the day, it's only fishing. And compared to Jesus, it is nothing. So when God calls his boys, what does Zebedee do? He lets them go. We don't read about a fight. We don't read about a struggle. He leaves his sons leave him there with the hired, hired servants and they go. I submit to you parents, the church needs some more Zebedees. Parents who have prepared and prayed that their children will go at the moment Jesus calls them. Parents who gladly allow themselves to be inconvenienced for the sake of following Jesus. I mean, think about it. Senior adults... What did Zebedee do? He let his retirement plan walk right out of his boat. There's James and John. They're in the boat. They're the, when he gets older and can't get in the boat anymore, they're going to be out there fishing, providing for Zebedee. And you know what Zebedee says? Y'all just go ahead and follow Jesus because he's worth it. Why do we live this way? Because we found that Jesus is worth more than anything this world affords today. As the old hymn says, He's fairer than lilies of rarest bloom. He's sweeter than honey from out the comb. He's all that my hungering spirit needs. I'd rather have Jesus and let Him lead. Do we believe that, church? Do we really believe that? If we do, it's time to get out of the boat. Students, what do you want to do when you grow up? It's the question everybody asks. You start asking your kids when they're four, five, or six. My, my son wants to drive to 611. I don't know what's going to happen if they retire to 611 again, but he's, his world's going to have to need an adjustment. What do you want to do when you grow up? I want to make loads of money. I want to marry the most attractive person in my class. I want to be the most attractive person in my class. I want to be the fastest, the best, the brightest. I want to make the most significant difference in the world. That 10 years after I'm dead, people won't even know my name. But I want to put all my life into something that's going to fade away. Do you see the challenge of this text? It is to throw away the hopes and the dreams that fade. And instead follow the king who will deliver you into a kingdom that never dies. Parents. What are you praying for your children? Are you praying for your children to have a comfortable life or to have a life that counts in the kingdom of God? This changes how we pray. It changes how we give and how we serve and how we live. When our children see us doing things for Jesus that require us to abandon the comforts of the world for the things of Christ, they are compelled not only by the Holy Spirit and the preaching of the Word, but by your example. Parents, you want to know what your number one job as a parent is? Your number one job as a parent, here it is. Live in such a way that your kids want to know the king that you are serving. 
Live in such a way that your kids want to know the King that you are serving. Oh, that we would leave our nets and our boats and follow Jesus. Don't misunderstand me this morning, church. Following Jesus is costly. But it is costly as the world counts cost. You see, Simon and Andrew and James and John receive infinitely more than they give up. They get Jesus Christ the King and they get the kingdom. And as the staff and I prayed through this text on Tuesday, Pastor Rick prayed this. God, let us feel the permanence of eternity. Let us feel the reality of the kingdom that you've called us into. Because if we allowed ourselves to see the fullness of victory that awaits because of Jesus, we would laugh at what we currently call sacrifice for the cause of Jesus. When we really get a vision of who Jesus is and what he's done to make a way for us to enter his kingdom, then we will do the last thing as well. We will become fishers of men. Following Jesus doesn't mean checking out of the world, but engaging the world from a totally different perspective. Do you see what fishermen come become? They become fishers of men. Whatever God has you doing in the world, He has you there for the purpose of finding lost people and telling them that you have found a better King. We become fishers of men. Notice that little word, become. Some of you this morning might say, well, I didn't check all the boxes on that sermon. Guess what? The preacher didn't either. The beauty of the call of Jesus is it is a call to become what Jesus himself wants to make you to be. Simon and Andrew and James and John didn't get out of the boat and have everything together. Later, we'll find Simon Peter telling Jesus, surely you don't have to go to a cross. And Jesus is going to say to Peter, get behind me, Satan. The call to follow Jesus is first and foremost a call to say, I abandon it all. I leave it all behind. I'm going to get out of the boat. And Jesus, I want to become what you want to make me to become. And what he wants to make you to become is a fisher of men who recruits others to get on the same team. Following the eternal king of the eternal kingdom that is near. So the question this morning is this. Are you following you? Have you found him more desirable than whatever the world gives you? Have you abandoned the pull of this world to follow Jesus and become a fisher of men? Or are you still in the boat? As the call of Jesus rings out across the water and time stands still for a moment to see. Will you follow this king? And enter his kingdom? For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Would you pray with me? Our Father and our God. We thank you for the call of Jesus on our lives. The call to get out of the boat. 
and to behold the beauty of Christ the Son and to say whatever He asks, I will do. Whatever He requires, it is worth it. And to commit our lives to becoming more and more and more the sort of people that only Jesus could make us be. Lord, we thank You for the Gospel of Jesus Christ. We thank You for the divine and urgent invitation to be on Your team. And we pray that this day You would continue to draw men and women to Yourself. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.